Welcome to Mountain State Cardboard, a podcast about sports, sports cards, and life from the Mountain State of West Virginia. If you're looking for guaranteed hot picks and lead pipe lock advice on the next big thing in sports cards, just turn around now. This isn't the show for you. This is a fun conversation about the hobby we all love. Episode 21 of Mountain State Cardboard is on deck and ready to go. I'm Tim. This is my podcast about sports, sports cards, and life. If you would be so kind, please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. Give me a rating. Give me a review. Share the podcast with your friends. Help me spread the word of Mountain State Cardboard. You can find me on the socials, Instagram and Twitter, at WV Cardboard. The website is WVCardboard.com. The email address, WVCardboard at gmail.com. Connect with me, and let's have a conversation. New connections this week, new subscribers. Thank you so much. Uh, Most listened to episode of the podcast yet was last week's episode. So continuing to climb the mountain, and that's all because of you guys. All I do is sit here each week and record my thoughts into a microphone, upload it to a platform, and then you guys do the rest of the work. And I just want to thank you so so much for helping me grow the audience uh, for the podcast. I have no idea where this is going. I don't really have big time aspirations. I just enjoy sharing my thoughts with people and connecting with new folks, talking about sports, talking about cards, talking about life with new people across the country. That's just been super fun and exciting for me. And to just, you know, make new friends and That's become hard to do in the middle of a global pandemic and periodic lockdowns and stay-at-home orders. It's, It's hard to meet new people, right? And for me, this has been an outlet for that. And I just, I want to thank you. I mean, to say in the middle of all this, I've made new friends in Missouri and Texas and California, I, you know, Michigan, I just thank you guys. And I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And I just wanted to say that from jump this week. Um, I'm in some kind of mood today, uh, so we'll see where the show goes. Um, not sure where my head's at. I'm just feeling in a mood, but uh, I'm going to power through and we're going to get through this and uh, uh, we're going to talk about some some fun stuff uh, and then a bit of a life lesson at the end of the show. Uh, nothing as in the feels as last week, but um, you know, I'm just I'm I'm just continuing to build my philosophies and my strategies and my my brand and the hobby, um, and I think maybe part of it is that a bit of a more philosophical bent. But we'll get to that at the end of the show. Uh, starting out before I even get into sports, I because I don't have any other outlet for this. I just want to share. So last night I was watching Footloose. Yes, Footloose, the 1984 version. Don't come at me with the remake. In my mind, that's just one of the very few get-off-of-my-lawn feelings that I have. Don't don't come at me with a new Footloose. 1984, Kevin Bacon Footloose. I'm watching it last night, and I love that movie. Uh, I have very uh, sentimental feelings toward that movie because it was the first quote-unquote grown-up movie uh, that I really went to see. My dad took me to it. And my dad didn't take me to a lot of movies when I was a kid. I usually went to the movies with my mom. But that one specifically, for whatever reason, my dad took me to that movie. I wanted to see it. I loved music. And I just I didn't know anything about the movie other than the previews that I had seen and 
that it was it was about music. So I wanted to see Footloose. My dad took me to see Footloose. So I have very sentimental attachments to the movie Footloose. But as I've grown older, there are things about the movie that have bothered me over the years. You know, when you re-examine things from your youth and they don't really hold up. And the big thing that always bothered me about Footloose was the end. The last scene in Footloose where they're having the dance, right? What's bothered me about that scene, that particular scene in that movie, is just this. These are a bunch of high school seniors that grew up, and you know the plot of Footloose, right? I mean, I know some of you guys are a lot younger than me, but for those that don't, the plot of Footloose is very simply, Kevin Bacon moves from the big city to small town Texas, very conservative town in Texas. They don't drink. They don't dance. They don't really do anything that's fun other than sit around and eat cake from what I can gather. And Kevin Bacon shows up, falls in love with the preacher's daughter, wants to have a dance. The town doesn't allow dancing. He fights the church, fights city council, gets the dance. They have the dance. All is right with the world, right? So the last scene of the movie is the dance, the the, the culmination of all of Kevin Bacon's hard work in this movie and in overcoming the obstacles of this conservative town. So they're having the dance. So all of a sudden, these kids, these seniors in high school who've grown up in a conservative, very restrictive environment where dancing wasn't allowed, you know, good and damn well, they didn't have MTV. They didn't listen to that crazy rock and roll music. And yet, The dance starts where they got a DJ. I have no idea, but they're having this dance in the basement of the granary. And all of a sudden, these kids that grew up in this repressed community, socially repressed community, are dancing like they're on Soul Train or Solid Gold. Right. Where did these kids learn to dance? There was no dancing allowed, and you know they weren't allowed to watch anything that showed how people danced. I mean, the one kid starts breakdancing like he's in... uh, uh, break into electric boogaloo. How did this, where did they learn to dance? So that's always bothered me, but I'm watching it last night and something else struck me. John Lithgow and all these other people in the town are so worried about the influences of dancing and rock music and the safety of their children. Yet every single kid in the town apparently has a Suzuki or a Honda dirt bike and rides it without a helmet. So on one hand, they're so worried about them dancing, but they're riding around the countryside with no helmets on. So I don't know. That's been stuck in my craw since last night. So now I've got it out. We can move on. Let's talk sports, sports cards in life. That was, we'll just throw that into the life category, my philosophical issues with Footloose. Um, Sports thoughts. We're getting real close to the NBA season uh, tipping back off, and I'm excited about that. There are so many storylines that I'm excited about uh, for NBA basketball. I'm a skeptic, but early run, KD and Kyrie look pretty good next to each other. And KD looks healthy, and that is scary for the East, because if KD is healthy in the East, all bets are off. Um, And that's going to have a trickle-down effect, because if the Nets come out of the east i think then you're looking at some other like what happens with Giannis, right what happens in philly what happens in miami because all of these teams are seemingly in win now mode their windows are open and if you're looking at two or three years of kd and Kyrie running next to each other and dominating the east i think all bets are off so that's going to be fascinating to watch and i'm not a fan 
of either player, but I'm a fan of good basketball and I'm a fan of seeing guys play at an elite level. So I'm just super excited to see what happens with with KD and Kyrie. And, you know, from a card standpoint, I think sky's the limit if these guys play well together and they start putting up numbers and racking up wins. Um, You know, both of them are on Hall of Fame trajectories. If the hype machine starts rolling this season and, you know, they rip off a bunch of wins in a row and they're doing it in spectacular fashion, if you're invested, good for you. Get your cards out there because I think the sky's the limit if things go as they are right now. Um, You know, James Harden forcing his way out of Houston. We're not going to talk too much about that. Um, I just... I'm not a Harden fan, but I'm always pro player, and I'm I'm I am in the camp of people who support players controlling their situation. And you can break this down and chew on it from a hundred different directions, but I'll say this: the concept of players controlling their situation is not a new one. It goes as far back as guys like Wilt Chamberlain forcing their way out of cities because they weren't happy. It's not a new phenomenon. What James Harden is doing was done by Wilt. It was done by Dr. J. It was, it's been done by a whole lot of people. So this is not new. So don't think that James Harden is some new uh, canary down the mine shaft when it comes to players trying to control their situation and get themselves somewhere better. Now, we can talk about how the fact that it's a roster that was constructed specifically to benefit him, and now he wants out. That's a whole other thing. But the other point that I will make about this and uh, I'll come back and touch on this in a few minutes when I talk about social uh, media interactions this week because I had a fun conversation. But we always criticize the player. Nobody criticizes the GM who moves on. You know, Daryl Morey is gone. He built that roster. Now he's in Philly. We don't. We we hang all of the responsibility of loyalty on the players, and I don't understand that. So for whatever, James Harden, not a fan, do your thing, man. Get yourself to wherever you want to be and play basketball and be happy. That's all I want. Um, here's a question. We're looking at it, uh, at the NBA, and, and I'm watching cards, right? I'm watching different players and, and you know trying to figure out what's what in the card market. Here's a guy that's blowing up, and I want to ask you guys, are you in or are you out? Because i got to say I'm out, but I, I'm no expert. Talon Horton Tucker in L.A., are you in or are you out? Because his cards have gotten some bump this week, and you saw it a little bit in the bubble, but now in the preseason it's starting to pick up momentum. That Talon Horton Tucker has flavor of the week written all over him to me, and I just am curious as to where you guys are with this. You know, I went through a box yesterday of of cards that I'd set aside but had not really sorted through because I knew there were a bunch of rookies in there. And I found a couple of Taylor Horton Tucker cards, and I'm going to get them listed probably this week. But it's not someone that I'm actively investing in, and it's not someone that I have a ton of faith in. I, like I said, I just feel like he's got flavor of the week written all over him. And I'm just curious what you guys think. Uh, so drop me a line on one of the social media channels and let me know what you think about Taylor Horton Tucker. I just don't see that one going anywhere long term. Get the bump, capitalize on it if you can, and move on. That's what I'm going to do, and I, I'm just curious what you guys uh, want to do. Um, 
other sports thoughts, um, you know, not much happening in baseball. I do want to point out another example of a sports writer carrying the water for uh, an ownership group that is claiming poverty when it's just not true. And I'm going to continue to talk, just fair warning, I'm going to continue to point this out, and here's why. There is a cottage industry among Major League Baseball writers that they carry the water for the owners. When the owners cry poor, these sports writers don't do even the the most modest amount of investigation to find out how accurate this financial information is. They just regurgitate the talking points. It's happening in New York right now with Giancarlo Stanton, the, the the Yankees saying that they're hamstrung by his contract. That's why they can't pay DJ LeMahieu uh, and other free agents. You know, when the Yankees cry poor, it's reached its pinnacle. But the example that I want to point out today, and the reason that I want to point this out is because, again, the sports writers parrot the owners. And I just want to bring a slightly different perspective to the conversation, just so that everyone understands that you don't have to take as gospel what you read from the beat writers. Uh, the beat writer for the Tigers, the Detroit News, Chris McCoskey, said this week, or within the last week, basically tweeted that you shouldn't be mad at the Tigers for not spending in free agency any more than you should be mad at someone who owns a local store that isn't stocking as much on their shelves because not as many people are coming into shop now, which is the biggest bunch of BS that I've ever heard in my life because the Tigers are owned by Illich Holdings, which is a $4 billion company, annual revenues of over $4 billion. They also own the Red Wings, Little Caesars, a casino hotel, vast real estate development holdings, parking lots, commercial and residential office space, a a food distribution company. Uh, These guys are loaded. Mike Illich, who's the nominal owner, is worth $2 billion. His mom, the chairwoman of Illich Holdings, is worth $4 billion. Like These are people with money that could be transferred into the Tigers operation if they really wanted to go out and spend. Now, I'm not saying they should. I don't know what the long-term plans are. I, I don't know what the plans in Detroit are. All I'm saying is if they wanted to spend more money on players, they could. Pandemic or no pandemic, you know, the Illiches are not losing money. They're making money that could be transferred into the baseball operations if they really wanted to just go out and spend and put the best players possible on the field. So again, I'm not criticizing them. I'm not saying that their strategy is wrong. All I'm saying is for a guy like Chris McCoskey to compare the Detroit Tigers to a mom and pop hardware store in your little small town is complete and total garbage. So there's that. Um, And then the big news in the last 24 hours is that the Cleveland Indians uh, are going to drop the Indians from their name and change their name. This is on the heels of the uh, Washington uh, football team dropping Redskins. Probably the Braves are next. I'm not going to say a lot about that uh, other than the name on the uniform is meaningless. If the Pittsburgh Pirates changed their name tomorrow to something else, I would still be a fan because what's written across the jersey jersey does not affect me. So you're going to hear a lot of hand-wringing over this 
from people who get paid in lofty media uh, purchase to say this is the continuation of cancel culture and how it's ruining America. And that's bunk. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it matters to a race of people who were used as a team nickname. And that's all I need to know. So I'm not going to make a bunch of uh, commentary on that other than if you're, if you're a Cleveland fan, it doesn't matter. Shouldn't matter anyway. Uh, you're loyal to the team, not the name across the jersey. Um, which leads me kind of into my social media shout outs for this week. Uh, and I got called a bleeding heart this week and it was all in fun and it made me laugh and I'll, I'll wear that badge. And the person that said it was not saying it as a criticism, but if you've listened to the show and I've actually talked to some people this week that have been marathoning the show to kind of get, they're new to the show and they just started at the beginning and ran through. If you listen to the show and the arc of this show, yeah, I'm a bleeding heart. I mean, I don't talk about it. I don't, I try not to force it down your throat. I just give you my opinions and we can have some conversation about it. But it was pretty hilarious to me this week and gave me a good laugh when I got called a bleeding heart. And I guess my bleeding heart shows on more ca- more occasions than I, I realize. Uh, but again, the person that said it wasn't saying it to criticize or in any kind of way of anger. It was all in, in jest and good fun. And, and you know, we're, we've become buddies to a certain degree. And uh, I just thought it was great. Uh, I, call me out, and and that's cool. Uh, but yeah, I've I've got uh, a bit of a bleeding heart, uh, and uh, I don't apologize for that. Other uh, social media shout outs. I just want to say thank you to Forever Young Cards. Got a, a random act of kindness package in the mail this week. Uh, three cards. There was a, a Randy Moss, uh, a Damian Lillard, and an Andrew McCutcheon. Three of my all time favorite players, and. Uh, Forever Young Cards, that's a good dude. Give him a follow on Instagram, uh, Forever Young Cards. And uh, finally, as we uh, look at content, social media shout outs, I want to spend a little time this morning talking about sports card analytics. And I've talked about Jordan and his channel many, many times on the program, but there's been a real evolution, I think, to what Jordan is doing. And I want to spend some time talking about that because I want all of you to, on YouTube, subscribe to Jordan's channel because what he's doing with his sports card analytics YouTube channel, we need more of in the hobby. And when guys are doing it right, I just, I want to spend some time talking about it and encouraging you to support what he's doing. Um, his last two YouTube episodes, and I'll say this too, I've had three people this week, three people this week, message me on Instagram and say, hey, thanks for telling us about Sports Card Analytics because I love the channel. So I'm, I'm going to continue to talk about it because I can feel that people are appreciating what Jordan is doing. So anyway, Jordan's last two episodes have been very data-driven, much, I don't want to say more so, but there's just been a lot more emphasis on data-driven analytics and opportunities. And, you know, Jordan is really great about saying, these are just, this is just the data. These are the opportunities I'm, I'm talking about. I'm not telling you to do it or not do it. I'm just presenting you the information. You make your own decision. We need more of that in the hobby. 
we need a lot more of that in the hobby. But he's, and I'm not going to talk about what he specifically broke down this week because I want you to go to the YouTube channel and I want you to watch it for yourself. But he puts really solid data behind the opportunities that he presents. And in this week's episode, he started by going to great lengths to talk about his own resume and why he feels like he's qualified to present this information to you. So first of all, complete transparency. We need a hell of a lot more of that in this hobby. And second of all, information, not trying to shove it down your throat and not trying to tell you what to do. Just educating you. And I think that's the big word here with Jordan and with what he's doing and with what the other content creators that I talk about regularly on the show are doing. It's about education. That's it. It's about making smarter collectors and investors. And when that happens, we all succeed. So I want you to go watch Jordan's episode this week and then go back and and review the catalog. The only criticism that I have is there's just been a lot less Baby Yoda in the last few weeks. You know, a a lot less of the interior of the closet at the house in North Carolina. That bums me out. But the shows themselves are so, so good. The episodes are so good, so full of information. And they spark ideas. Because that's the other thing that I love about what Jordan does and what I specifically want to call out today is that he uses examples, but he kind of couches it in a way of, Figure this out for yourself with your players, the guys you collect or the guys that you're um, uh, investigating for prospecting purposes. And that's a big part of the hobby. Prospecting is a big part of the hobby. And I'm probably going to do less of it this year than I did last year because last year I was I was the classic example in the NBA of the guy that was doing it but didn't really know what he was doing. And I've figured a lot of things out for myself since then. I was just going out and buying rookie cards, right? Like an idiot. But what Jordan does is he presents the data, but he also talks it through in a way that as you're, as you're, you look at the data points you, or you see the data points that you should be looking at for yourself and your own opportunities, the own, the, the players that you're investigating for yourself. So watch Jordan's episode. If you're into the investment game, or thinking about getting into the investment game, watch Jordan's episodes, but then think critically about the data points and apply them to the players that you like or the players that you are bullish on and see if it matches up. Because that's what Jordan's giving you in these episodes. Jordan is giving you the playbook if you want to use it. And he'll never, he'll never come out and say that, so I'll say it for him. And I hope he doesn't get mad. But the guy is super smart. He's giving you the playbook. Here's the data to look at. Here are the stats that you should be looking at or could be looking at. Here are some stats to look at. Here are some price data points to look at and follow. And take it, if he's talking about Luka Doncic, take it and apply it to whoever your guy is or your guys are and see if it plays out. So that's that's my stump speech for sports card analytics today. And the evolution in the last few weeks has just been really great. He's taken it to the next level. We just need more baby Yoda. If we could get that, then I'll get off his ass and, and not 
ever say it again, but bring back Baby Yoda. But the data, the information, the education is top-notch, and I'm telling you, folks, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. You will not be sorry. Okay, let's move into uh, the WV, the West Virginia connection for this week. And I've actually got two. I've actually got two because one is is not necessarily sports related, but uh, is important to me and and to the folks in in West Virginia. Um, first of all, I will say I got ragged on by some guys last week for not knowing that Darren Williams was born in West Virginia. And if you listened last week, yep, yeah, Darren Williams, former NBA point guard, was born in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And I just found out, and, and I'm a guy who who likes to think that I know a lot about athletes born in West Virginia. And I got ragged on by some guys for not knowing this. And somehow I had just missed it. Um, And then there was another one that I just missed, and I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But before I do that, I just want to say uh, we lost a really um, significant figure in American history last week, and that was Brigadier General Chuck Yeager. Um, Chuck Yeager who, if you aren't aware, uh, was the first pilot to break the sound barrier. And that was a really important moment in uh, American history, uh, in American science history, as we in, in aeronautics, as we progressed toward a space program. Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier was a very critical moment in American history. Chuck Yeager was born in Lincoln County, West Virginia. And I want to say a couple of things about Chuck Yeager. And, and I live in a city where the airport is named after uh, Chuck Yeager. Um, his significance to American history is vast for the reasons that I just laid out. But also, you know, Chuck Yeager represented something in America that I think we can all respect. This is a guy who was born in a very... Uh, poor rural area of West Virginia, entered the Army as a buck private, and without college, without officer school, without any of those trappings, rose to the rank of brigadier general in the United States Air Force. And I just, that is, that is a testament to hard work, dedication, determination. Chuck Yeager was an American hero. And we lost him last week. And the sports connection for me was Bo Jackson on Twitter, basically tweeting out his condolences for the loss of Chuck Yeager and saying in his tweet, and think about this, Bo Jackson tweeted that Chuck Yeager was the only person in his entire life that he ever asked for an autograph. Let that resonate for a moment. Bo Jackson, who in my opinion, is the greatest athlete of my lifetime, and that is a hill on which I am willing to die. Bo Jackson, greatest athlete of my lifetime, only asked for one autograph ever, and it was Chuck Yeager. And I say that about Bo Jackson, and I'll say, if not for injury, he would be in one, if not two, halls of fame right now. Um, and it's obviously a situation that we'll never be able to adjudicate um, because his career was cut short by a traumatic injury to his hip. Uh, but I'll take Bo Jackson over Deion Sanders every day of the week and twice on Sunday. 
Bo Jackson, as far as I'm concerned, was the greatest athlete of my lifetime. And the only person he ever asked for an autograph for was Chuck Yeager. So rest in peace, Brigadier General Chuck Yeager. Now, I'm going to out myself again as a bit of a fraud because, again, I've come to find out that there is another former recent NBA player that was born in West Virginia. And I found it out this week from one of my Instagram followers, Ken.Kinsey, also the YouTube channel, Beans Ball Card Blog. Found out from him this week that former NBA forward Alan Henderson was born in Morgantown, West Virginia. And that's another one that I didn't know of. So now I'm questioning my entire existence. And Alan Henderson, if you don't remember Alan Henderson, or you're not necessarily aware of Alan Henderson, Alan Henderson uh, was in the early 90s a pretty significant figure in college and pro, and pro basketball, early to mid 90s. So Alan Henderson was born in Morgantown, West Virginia, and then as a young child, uh, his family moved to Indianapolis. Uh, where he grew up, went to high school. He was runner-up for um, uh, Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana in, I want to say, 1991, uh, 1990 or 91. He was runner-up for Mr. Basketball in Indiana uh, to Glenn Robinson. But then he went to the University of Indiana and in 1992 led that Indiana team to the, elite, or to the Final Four. And in that Final Four, to get to that Final Four, they beat UCLA in the Elite Eight, um, which was coached, by the way, by Charleston, West Virginia native Jim Herrick. So former UCLA coach Jim Herrick, born in West Virginia. Allen Henderson and the Indiana Hoosiers beat UCLA in 92 to go to the, uh, to the Final Four, um, where they lost to, I forget if it was Duke or Michigan, they lost to in the Final Four, but that was a Duke-Michigan championship year. Um, he's the only Indiana University player to rank in the school's top five in scoring, rebounding, block shots, and steals. Allen Henderson was a significant figure in Indiana basketball, and I'm a bit of an Indiana fan because I one of the first sports books that I ever read was Season on the Brink about Bobby Knight and the Indiana Hoosiers. So I kind of had a thing for Indiana basketball. Um, watched Allen Henderson play a lot of basketball games. Did not know he was born in Morgantown, West Virginia. Got drafted by the Hawks um, in 95. Was most improved player in the NBA in 1998. He played 12 years with the Hawks, the Mavericks, the Cavaliers, and the 76ers. Um, you know, Alan Henderson, not a Hall of Famer, solid NBA guy, uh, had some moments, played in a Final Four, had no ideas from West Virginia. So I started looking up some of his cards and, uh, you know, the 95-96 uh, Tops Finest and the 1995-96 uh, Flair are both beautiful cards. So I'm going to go out and pick a couple of those up this week to add to the PC uh, because Alan Henderson now uh, belongs in the Born in West Virginia PC here at Mountain State Cardboard. And guys, I'm outing myself here. I thought I knew a lot. I thought I, I, I wouldn't claim that I knew everything, but I thought I knew a lot. And now in two weeks, I have found out two significant NBA players from the last couple of decades that were born in West Virginia, and I had no idea. I got ragged on for Darren Williams. I'll be interested to see if I get ragged on for Alan Henderson. Um, but yeah, Alan Henderson was a guy that I liked in college and had no idea. He was born in Morgantown, uh, home of West Virginia University. 
So that leads me into today's main segment or the final segment. I I think I'm going to stop calling it the main segment and just start calling it the final segment because from week to week, I think the main segment kind of varies. Today, you know, maybe the main segment is encouraging you to subscribe to the Sports Card Analytics uh, YouTube channel uh, to get educated by Jordan. Um, But um, final segment today, you know, two weeks in a row, I find out something that in retrospect, I feel like I should have known, but I didn't know. And that leads me to say this, in the hobby and in life, don't act like you know everything or don't think that you know everything because I can promise you that you don't. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of YouTube shows about about the hobby and, and I'll just put them on in the background while I'm doing work throughout the day uh, here at the house. And I'll listen to a lot of shows, but I won't listen to all of a lot of shows. Like I'll, I'll test drive podcasts and I'll test drive YouTube channels, but I can tell you as I thought about this this week in preparation for, for, for the show, the, the episodes and the, or rather the creators that I, that I tend to hang on to are the guys who are willing to admit that they don't know everything. They don't profess to be the be-all, end-all expert in their field. Um, and the, one, of the, one of the guys that springs to mind when I think about this is Chris with House of Jordans. And House of Jordans, top five podcasts for me, uh, regular listen. I always get something from every episode of, of House of Jordans. But one of the things that I, I really admire about Chris on House of Jordans is he is a he is a significant Jordan collector. Yet, anytime he in, he interviews someone else who is either a Jordan collector or a specific player collector, at some point in the conversation, I can promise you that he will say something akin to, I had no idea. I didn't know that. If you are willing to admit that you don't know everything, you're going to get a lot further in life, but you're going to get a lot further in the hobby. Be willing to understand that you don't know it all. And when you're listening to these creators, when you're listening to Jordan with Sports Card Analytics, when you're listening to House of Jordan and Chris is interviewing someone about their collections, pay attention to what they're saying and Admit to yourself that you don't know everything and that you could learn something from this time that you're investing in watching this. Like, don't, don't consume content just for picks, just for buy this player. Don't listen to content just for advice. Listen to content to learn. And the only way you're going to learn is if you open your mind and say, I don't know everything. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Bean's Ball Card blog on YouTube. He knows a hell of a lot more about pre-war cards than I do, and that's something that I actually have some interest in and would like to get into. So I'm hoping, hint, hint, if you're listening, that there's more pre-war card content coming because that's something I'm interested in, and I don't know much about it, but I want to learn. When you're consuming content, admit to yourself that you don't know everything. And there's a, there's a, a philosophical tenet that I try to apply to my life. And I do it in the hobby, but I do it throughout the day in my everyday life. And it's this, and there's a, 
This quote has been ascribed to so many different people that I don't know who it came from. So don't think about it as a quote. Just think about it as a philosophical tenet. And that is, every person that you meet can teach you something because every person that you meet is better at something than you are. And I think that's quite literal. Every content creator on YouTube and every podcast that I listen to, I totally understand that they are better at something in this hobby than I am. Now, for me, it wouldn't be too hard because I don't know that there's anything that I particularly do well, and that's not false modesty. That's just me saying I'm growing in this hobby, but I'm no expert by any means. I'm a guy with a microphone and the, the uh, aptitude to put a podcast on the air. But also in life, I try to remember that every person that I'm talking to in any situation, whether it's in a meeting for work or if I'm the cashier at Target, that person is better at something than I am and I could learn something from them if I had the opportunity. So apply that to yourself and I would say do it in your life. But since this is ostensibly a hobby podcast, I'll say it in hobby terms. Remember that every person that you're interacting with on Instagram, on YouTube, in a podcast, through, a, through Twitter, every person that you talk to is better at something in this hobby or in life than you are. And I think that humility is what helps us learn and grow. And like I said when I was talking about why you should listen to or watch Sports Card Analytics, when we're humble and we educate ourselves, then we grow in the hobby. And when we grow in the hobby, the whole hobby grows and we all get better. And philosophically, we start to drown out the guys that I like to call bad actors. When we educate ourselves, when we become more intelligent in the hobby, we don't need what's-his-face doing his lousy, yelling into the microphone buy this by now routine, right? When we become smarter, we don't rely on those guys and they become less significant and then they go away and then the hobby is a better space altogether. So my advice today as we end the show is don't act like you know everything because you don't. And remember that every person that you interact with can teach you something. That's it for episode 21. Guys, thanks so much. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next week. In the meantime, subscribe, rate, review. Subscribe on the platform of your choice. Throw down a rating. Give me a review. Share this with your friends. Help us grow the audience. Find me on the socials at WV Cardboard, Twitter and Instagram. WVCardboard.com is the website. The email address, WVCardboard at gmail.com. Connect with me. Let's have a conversation. And maybe you can teach me something. Peace, love, and penny sleeves. Connect with Mountain State Cardboard on Instagram at WVCardboard. Our theme music is performed and produced by John Ingram. Visit our show page on Anchor, anchor.fm slash WVCardboard. This podcast is a member of the 3BG Podcasting Network, a production of 3BG Media. All rights reserved.